Hey, everybody, welcome to the Mere Christians podcast. I'm Jordan Rayner. How does the gospel influence the work of mere Christians? Those of us who aren't pastors, we're not religious professionals, but we work as security guards and surveyors and entrepreneurs. That's the question we explore every week. And today I'm posing it to Sadie and Eric Hess, owners of Compass, which helps adults with developmental disabilities live independently in their own homes. Sadie and Eric and I recently sat down, had a great conversation in which we talked about the best definition of worship I've ever heard and what it means for your work. We talked about how to dream big for our work and cast big vision while also remaining content And we talked about some of the symptoms that we have forgotten that all we have been given is from God. I think you guys are going to love this episode with Sadie and Eric Hess. Sadie and Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. So Sadie, I know you've been listening for a while. (laughs) Yes, I think pretty much since the beginning. Yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) First-time caller, this is my favorite guest. Actually, I like totally missed the third anniversary of the podcast. It was this. It was this Sunday. Oh my gosh! Which we observe as Sabbath, and so I totally missed it. But we Mm. celebrated. Oh, congratulations! Thanks. Yeah, Sadie. Any memorable episodes? Oh my goodness. Well, a lot, actually. The individual, I see this is where you're going to put me on the spot and I'm going to be bad with names, but the individual that does water. Yeah, yeah. Scott Harrison at Charity. Scott Harrison, yes. And then I definitely have picked up quite a few books from different authors that were on your show. If only we were getting affiliate revenue from all the books. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> may offset some of the costs of this podcast. Hey, so Eric, let, let's just set the table for a minute. What is Compass? Compass is a business here in Northern California that serves adults with developmental disabilities, cerebral palsy, autism, Down syndrome, those sorts of things. And we provide staff and social work oversight so that they can live in their own home and have a community life and a free life just like you and I do as opposed to living in some sort of congregate housing or a facility. Got it. Where in Northern California are you guys? Well, we're based in Redding, California, but we have 12 Redding. we have 12 offices. So we we quote unquote go all the way down to San Jose and all the way up to the Oregon border. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's a big area. And Sadie, what's what's the founding story of Compass? So I love my story because I was able to find what God called me to do at a really young age. Yeah. Actually, I was in college and I had uh, the opportunity to do a internship and I wanted it to be paid. <laughs> so there weren't a lot of options. I looked at this little three by five card that said, you know, get paid, work with people with disabilities. And I started working with a woman named Cindy and I was her caregiver. So, you know, I did all the caregiving things. But what I learned right away is that Cindy had a lot more to teach me than I had to teach Cindy. And I was forever changed by that relationship. And so then I went right into there and started doing social work and worked in this field exactly, working with people with disabilities. And then when the opportunity came up when I was 23 to start my own company, I I did that. I, I 
took a leap of faith with a friend and a business partner at the time named Joanne. And we just followed the path that God called us to. And it's been an incredible journey. So now I've been doing this over 25 years. I've had my company for 25 years. That's amazing. So the story I've read online is like way crazier than you just <laughs> So you correct my gaps in the story. What I understood was you were working for this other nonprofit, right? At the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who decided that providing services to the disabled, that this kind of wing of their business was no longer financially viable. That is correct. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> And you, at the age of 23, decided to build a whole business around this thing that was financially unviable. <laughs> That's it, exactly true. Basically, they, yeah, Sadie's an eight on the Enneagram. Yeah. And she just chomped on down to this challenge. <laughs> she said, no way, no way. I had been doing this line of work now for a year as a social worker for this organization. And I knew they didn't see the hidden treasures and the gems that were the people with disabilities. And I also had seen firsthand the ways that we could actually make it run more efficiently and save a few dollars to make it all pencil. And so, yeah, at the age of 23, I decided, let me do this thing and took it on as a challenge. (laughs) I mean, but massive risk. Massive risk. Yes. I think I didn't realize how big a risk at the time. You're you're in the moment and you see what God's up to and you you just take that leap of faith and then you mm-hmm. kind of look down and go, whoa, that, that's a big chasm there. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Yes. <laughs> what did God teach you, Sadie, immediately over the years about taking what in retrospect was such a significant risk? Really, I think one of my biggest lessons is that if God tells you something multiple times, maybe through his word, maybe through conversations with friends, maybe from a sermon, the more he says it, the more it will cost you. Like sometimes we get very excited, like, oh, I read this in the scripture. I know God's saying to do this. But I think the more times you you hear it, the more he's, he's underlying that as something that's important, the more that you should be ready because it is going to cost you. I say that what I do has cost me everything and I would willingly and completely pay it again every day. Well, Eric, you're the financial guy. What is she talking about? What, <laughs> what, have, been, what have been the costs to you guys of building this business and following God's lead? Having our lives mortgaged to the hilt at various times. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, honestly, that hasn't been the biggest cost. I think the biggest cost has been a lifestyle challenge we've had to balance because you know, we're married, we do this together, we have three children. But if you ask all of them, they'll say that our first child was Compass. Yeah. <laughs> and we've had to work really, and they say that with a smile on their face and just a little twinge of, I'm not sure I like how that felt. Sure. Right. So we've had to work really hard and be super intentional to make sure they were priorities and that that we would die for them. We've done that by taking time off and spending quality time with them and and celebrating all their things. We're going to be going to one of our daughter's volleyball games just this afternoon to celebrate her. But that's probably been one of the biggest costs. The other cost has been just a lot of time praying and asking God to be our covering, be our protection, and then finding out that a lot of my prayers came from fear, not from faith. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's been a big growing experience for us as well. It's definitely been a journey and that faith journey, dealing with fear, dealing with God, where are the people going to come from right now? We're dealing with an, an unprecedented hiring shortage. Yeah. The whole country is, but we're really feeling it. How do we continue to support our people with that kind of shortage? It just takes tons of faith. And even when you don't feel like you're super faithful. Yeah. 
Right. And I mean, we also, we deal with, we have over 500 employees and we serve over 600 clients. And so the other cost is people are messy. People are really messy. And there's a lot of opportunity to humble yourself and look them in the eye, ask good questions, try to figure out what they what they really need in conversations. And so that's been another cost is just kind of the... Yeah. The wounding that can come from leading a lot of people. It's a real cost to your pride. You have yeah. to daily lay your pride down because so many times you can say to yourself, in this conflict, I'm right. But if we're going to move on together, I just got to let my rightness go yeah. and forgive and let's just move on together. And that's, yeah. that's ooh, talk about dying to yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. It's such a people-heavy business. Eric, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about your background. So Sadie founded this thing. You were in full-time pastoral ministry before joining Sadie at Compass, right? Yeah. I went to school to be a biblical studies major. When I was 17, I got a radical call from God to be a missionary, and I was intimidated and excited about it. So I said, okay, I'm going to Bible school, and I'm going to eventually wear the pith helmet and have a machete, and yeah. you know that, that classic illustration of yeah. the image of being a missionary. And I did wind up being a youth pastor and a worship leader for six years off and on, and Every time it seemed like I would be heading towards more expansion and vocational ministry, that door would close. And I couldn't quite understand it. Uh, A friend of mine has a line, he goes, follow your favor. Wherever the favor of God is on your life, follow that, because that's likely an indication of the direction he wants you to take. Well, I didn't really have favor in the church as a vocational minister, and I never could figure it out. And honestly, it was a real struggle for me, because I would see other men or women who didn't appear as talented or as anointed as me this is kind of my pride repentance journey, getting favor. And I I struggled with that. And so I kind of let go of that dream and wound up going into, we got married and uh, I went into a business for myself as a financial advisor, selling and marketing insurance and retirement planning products, that type of deal. And it didn't quite feel right either. It was good service. I I believed in what we did, but it didn't really feel like me, if that makes sense. When our two oldest children were two years and eight weeks, I joined Sadie at a conference that she had been invited to. She and Joanna, former partner, were presenting Cupis at a conference down in Santa Clara where they were, or we were the four white-skinned folks in this room of 5,000 people of Indian descent. We were definitely the fish out of water. It was super cool. And while we were there, the Lord tapped me on the shoulders, metaphorically, and said, Hey, Eric, how come you think you have to leave America to be a missionary? Amen. Amen. That kind of rattled my cage a lot. And I had a long conversation with God that day as I was basically holding my eight-week-old son and manning this booth and having having people walk up to me and go, well, if we invested $50 million in your company, what would we do? And I was not prepared to answer the question. I didn't feel like I had the right to because I didn't work at Compass. I was just kind of my wife's help. I'm just here to watch the kids. Yeah, I'm just the babysitter today, man. Literally, the guy said, what would you do with a $50 million investment? I said, I don't know what we would do with a $50,000 investment, (laughs) which I have since come to learn is the absolute wrong answer to give (laughs) capital market. (laughs) <laughs> but that was really where I was at at the time. And by the end of the day, my wife and I had a conversation. I said, "Lord, honey, I, I think the Lord's telling me that I'm supposed to do this with you. And her eyes got really big. And I said, but I only do it if we can do it together. I, I won't be your employee. And 34-year-old Eric was dumb enough to say that. And yeah. slightly younger than that, Sadie was dumb enough to say, okay. Yeah. And so that's kind of how we got here. And it has absolutely been church. Our business really is our church. We, we look at Compass like the people we pastor. We pastor a church of about 1,200 people. And if you want to go one step removed to their immediate families, it's a couple of thousand people. 
more than that probably. So, and that's really how we feel about the business. We're not just trying to make money and prosper economically. Oh, of course that is an intention. It really is our ministry. Mm -hmm. Did you guys have to wrestle? I mean, Eric, you, you felt this call to move overseas to be a donor supported missionary. And now here you are running this for-profit business in the States. Was there a tension there? Like, did you have to do some soul work to really view this as ministry? Yeah, a ton. We're giving away one of our answers, but uh, <laughs> we found a book called Anointed for Business by Ed Silvoso. Oh, yeah, it's an old book, yeah. Yeah, old, oldie but a goodie. Like, oldie but a goodie. It was oh, yeah. the first it's a, it's book. A book. It's really. a cornerstone book for us. It was the first book that we, I mean, I, I wept reading because all of a sudden, both of us had felt on the outside of ministry because we weren't getting a paycheck from the church. And to read this and go, okay, we're actually on the inside of God's will was transformative for us. We had an experience where um, our attorney, who was working kind of as a coach to us at the time, took us to a, an investment forum where angel investment form. We were just guests because he wanted us to experience this in the hopes that we would pitch compass. Yeah. We declined to do so eventually, but the experience was was powerful for me because we we're sitting in this room where the minimum liquid net worth to be a part of the forum was $15 million. You had to be able to write a $15 million check just to join. Obviously, there was a lot more cash that could be splashed around. And I, I wouldn't have, you know, I think we had probably $30,000 liquid net worth at the time in our <laughs> life. Maybe. Yeah. I just had such a revelation from the Lord about how all of those men and women were actually really hurting. They had so much, yet they would, they, you could just, I could just see their insecurity. I could just see their pursuit of- Their need for Jesus. Their, yeah, they, they were pursuing mammon. They were pursuing wealth in the hopes that it would really give them what their heart required, and it didn't. And the Lord said to me, Eric, I've called you, you know I've called you the poor, but I'm also calling you to the wealthy. I later on pursued an MBA and I had the same experience being in school with all these men and women who were really high performers and high executors and they were hurting too. And so my wife and I really do look at our business as an avenue to serve all people, yeah. wherever their economic spectrum is. It reminds me of in Acts chapter 16, Paul in the middle of the night has a vision of this man from Macedonia. Totally. Begging him come over to Macedonia and help us. And what's interesting about this is the Macedonians were the social elite. They were the rich. They were the powerful, right? And here's this rich, powerful man from the outside appearing very strong, appearing to Paul in this vision is very weak and saying, come and help us. I mean, that's exactly what you experienced. Oh, totally. In that room that day. Hey, Sadie, talk, talk a little bit more. Go a layer deeper on viewing the business as church, right? I, I don't know that I've heard that terminology used before. <laughs> People talk about the business ministry, but unpack this and, and what this looks like for you guys. Right. Well, I mean, the church being the big C is it's Jesus inhabiting us. It's the Holy Spirit inhabiting us. He, when he came, he died. And essentially, then we know that he wrote on our hearts. He now is in us and we, we get to be the church. We're the large C church. And so wherever we go gets to be an opportunity to, to worship, to direct people to Christ. And so when we started this organization, Eric and I actually, we have, we have a tradition. We have a, a annual tradition where we go away for a week and we get before the Lord, we do devotions together, we soak in his presence and, and just in music. And then we think about what we're going to accomplish. And 
in that process over the years, we've we've begun to realize that we are we have an opportunity in our business to create the culture where people get to see Jesus. They get to see, and so our values, one being faith, another one being generosity, another one being honor, they get this opportunity to experience Jesus even in our culture. I get this opportunity to talk to different people, and I'm always saying, we we're so blessed as people who have the connection to Jesus, to power, to love, to to all the good things. And we get to then represent that to everyone around us. And then when we have the opportunity, as we do to own our business, we get to actually have an entire culture represent that. And so our big C church is for us to come to work every day and represent Jesus and let our work be worship. Eric, how do you think you represent Christ most vividly within the business? Wow, that is a good question. It depends how I'm feeling. <laughs> how I can answer that question because <laughs> some days I feel like I'm representing Jesus pretty well. Some days I feel like I, I'm not. It work is worship. That's really how we approach it. And so when I'm sitting there typing on a spreadsheet as a CFO or when I'm meeting with a team or yesterday I was doing a training with some of our new managers, I am worshiping God as I'm doing it. I'm doing it to the best of my ability and to give him glory, even if I never mention him. And so some of it is about a mindset, knowing that wherever I am, God is too. And if, if I'm his kid and he lives in me, then he's got a plan for every place that he sends me. Yeah. It's easy to forget that though, especially when I'm under stress, when I'm worried about a problem, mm-hmm. then suddenly I forget and I feel alone. So one of the things I try to do is uh, try to start every day just saying, Holy Spirit, come. Fill me, be with me, and let me represent you in all of my relations and in all of my decisions. So, it, like I said, it kind of depends on the, sometimes the circumstances because I'm still learning how to walk in that. No, it's good. I love that you're pointing out that every stroke of the keyboard can be worship. It's a really beautiful thought. I find a lot of people who struggle with that idea, though. They're like, I don't understand what that means. And I think it's because mm-hmm. we use these churchy words like glorify, like worship so much that they've largely lost their meaning. And I was rereading The Purpose Driven Life recently by Warren. And I disagree with Rick Warren on a number of things. But <laughs> one thing I love is his definition of worship. He says that to worship God is to simply bring God pleasure. Mm-hmm. Anything you do to bring God pleasure, that is worship. And I'm like, that's so concrete because we know it pleases God. We have his word. We know it's on his heart. And so we know that if we go to work tomorrow and do our work heartily as unto the Lord, that's obeying his command. We're bringing him pleasure. We know if we go to work tomorrow and love our neighbors ourselves at the most fundamental, simple level, that's worship because that's bringing pleasure to God. Right. Amen. And what I love about that quote that you mentioned is that, you know, I'm a dad and God's my dad. Yeah. This morning, my oldest daughter is doing a recital at her school, at her college, as a music student. And I am just so proud of her, and I get so much pleasure watching the video. Yeah. Watching her shine in what looks like a natural activity, but is her gifting, and is just beautiful, that brings me pleasure. When I apply that same rubric to my relationship with God, anything that I do that is well productive and positive, of course, yeah. that I do under my best brings him pleasure and therefore is worship. Yeah. I keep quoting this verse on the podcast. I've been thinking about so much over the last six months. Psalm 37, 23 says that God delights in every detail of the lives of the godly. Every detail. Not just when we're explicitly sharing the gospel, not just when we're praying, 
every detail that we do, I, I think in accordance with his commands, I think that brings him great pleasure. So Sadie, for you, what are some of those commands that you see this business kind of embodying in the most significant way? Like said, said another way, what's the most significant way in which God's word shapes how you run this business? Mm, I love that question. The first words that came to my mind were unconditional love. And that is the greatest commandment. And it can be the most difficult. Like I said earlier, sometimes the things you hear over and over again, you hear them over and over again from the Lord because they are that challenging to do. We absolutely are creating an environment or doing our best um, with God's help to create an environment where people get to feel the unconditional love of God that individuals that have likely not have felt overlooked, unseen, are given the opportunity to be seen, to be known, and to be loved. And that is not just my clients, that is my staff as well. Those individuals that come to us to do caregiving often are coming, and this wasn't their first choice of a career, they're coming here from a place of brokenness, a place of pain, maybe loss of a marriage. And so they're grasping at straws, trying to find you know their place and make a paycheck and they, and they find this line of work. And we get to show them how serving others is just one of our greatest joys. One of the best things we can do is serve others. Mm-hmm. And so we get this opportunity to see people step into their identity because many of these people really were just, they were caregivers by birth. That's how God created them. And so they get to come here and they get to see how that identity is not a, it's not a negative identity. It's a, it's actually a God given beautiful part of their identity. We were just actually out to lunch with an employee. She was just saying, do you know how many people you keep off the streets? She's like, do you know how many people would be homeless if it weren't for your organization? And she's like, and I'm not just talking about clients. I'm talking about your staff too. It was, just a phenomenal reminder. And it felt so good to just go, okay, thank you, God. I give this, I give this back to you too. This isn't, (laughs) this isn't for me to hang on to, not my victory. This is, I give this back to you. Just even the thought that this employee sees how we've made a difference for her in even the way she sees herself. Yeah. You're serving your team by helping them see the goodness and inherent dignity in this very difficult job. I also noticed, I was clicking through the website before today's conversation and all throughout the website, you guys talk a lot about dreaming, (laughs) clients dream, but also helping your staff dream big. Why is this so important to you guys? Well, you know, there's a great book by Matthew Kelly on this topic of, of how important it is to dreams and how it's actually an electric current throughout. It's like it actually gives us strength. It gives us power to to have these dreams. And we've gone on this journey for a long time now. And we've discovered that encouraging and giving people permission to dream has just powerful consequences um, in our community. And so we actually, right today, as we speak, we have individuals, both clients and staff on dream retreats. We send our, our team on dream retreats and they get the opportunity to to just take some time away and think. And if they pray, pray about what more is possible for them. And and it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful aspect of our culture to see individuals, both staff and clients say, okay, you know what? I, for years laid down that I wanted to go back to school, but I really do and, and what's possible. And then the community that can come around them when they declare their dream is also another just kind of fun, powerful part of what we're trying to do here is they get the opportunity to say this 
this is what I want. And then watch when people walk alongside of them, help them. And they, and they get that, that experience of belonging that I think so many people are desperate for and yet so few people get. Yeah. yeah it's something we're really proud of in our community because we have seen so many people, both staff and clients, do things they never thought they would do. I'm sitting here at my desk and I have a present for one of our employees and I'm thinking of her because when she came to work for us, she was afraid to do a lot of things. She had never left the state of California because she was afraid to. And she embarked on her own dream journey at one of these events that we do. And she's now traveled internationally. She's taken vacations with friends and family. She has the process of saying, if I'm going to dream, I should really dream. And what scares me? Oh, no, that scares me. And going for it has been transformative in her life. We have many people, like Sydney mentioned, who have gone back to college, even got master's degrees while working for us. It's so cool to see people recognize something that they haven't stepped into, aspire to it, and then achieve it. And you feel so connected to them afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's just super cool. I'm thinking of, you guys are talking, I think it's Proverbs 2918. I may be getting the reference wrong, but it says where there is no vision, the people perish. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like when we stop dreaming, we stop casting vision, we die inside, right? Like Mm -hmm. I don't know that I don't know that that's speaking of literal death, but I think (laughs) internally, yeah, that rings true to me. What were you gonna say, Sadie? I was gonna say individuals with disabilities, many, most have not even ever been given permission to dream. They are very much given permission to stay in their lane, eat when you tell them to eat and do what you tell them to do. They're actually, we end up with the individuals that said, no, thank you to that. We end up with the individuals that kind of buck the system and say, I don't want to eat when you tell me to eat. I kind of want to eat when I want to eat. And that deems them challenging. So then we end up with them in our program. And I love that. I, we always joke as a team, I, some of our favorites are the ones that quote unquote are very challenging to the system because they, they keep saying, you know what, I'd kind of like to do my life my way. And so when we started embarking on the idea of our clients having the permission to dream, I started recognizing right away our staff didn't have permission to dream. And, you know, I told them, I don't want you to be hypocrites. I don't want you to encourage clients and give them permission. And yet you don't feel permission to dream. So I think we're going to have to make this our entire company culture that we're all going after dreaming together. We literally put that on a t-shirt. We do a lot of t-shirts. And uh, one of it said, one of the t-shirts taglines was you can't give away what you don't have. And it was meant to encourage and challenge our staff, our managers and staff to to start dreaming in their own right. Because if you're going to be encouraging our clients to declare and go after their dreams, you better be doing something about your own. Yeah. How do you guys dream in a way for your business, for your family, that where God is a central part of that process of, of dreaming and vision casting and planning? How do you seek his will and discern his will as you're casting vision for your lives and work? That is a really good question. Someday I'll probably have a really good answer for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for today, we'll just... For today, we'll make one up. We'll no, bumble along until no, we come um, up with a good answer. It, it starts with, the, honestly, the presupposition that this isn't our business. It's God's. Yeah. And I don't say that to sound spiritual, but I really operate that way. In fact, whenever we face challenges, whether they were employment problems, lawsuits, what have you, like, Lord, this is your company. So I'm trusting you. I've gone through the symbolic act of writing out a deed to my company and and giving it to God. Like that, that's how much we- Oh, that's interesting. 
I mean, I really believe in sometimes doing something physical to say, okay, God, like this is, this is really my heart. So there've been a couple different times actually over the years where quote unquote, I feel like I take it back. You know, it's mine. It's mine. It's it's my, and it never works out. It it works out terribly. (laughs) And so we've had these moments where we're like, okay, no, nope, it's yours. And so even physically written out two deeds over, over my 25 years of doing this. Okay. Hang on. I got, I got to ask Eric. Yeah. Let's, let's finish this. How do you bring God into that process of dreaming? But then Sadie, don't let me forget. I want to, <laughs> this is fascinating, but Eric, go ahead. Yeah. So, so it starts from just knowing that it all belongs to God and being yielded about it and saying that I'm not fighting for what's mine. I'm contending for your kingdom, God. When you start at that point, then you actually are starting from, from a point where you can presume based on faith that God's going to show up and God's going to give you ideas. God's going to give you direction. God's going to give you, God's going to give the resources that you need. And so when we started that place, then when we go for these annual retreats, and he mentioned it before, we, we, we call it our annual marriage retreat because yeah. since we work together, we, we call, we tell the kids it's marriage glue. Exactly. Oh my God. We, why can't we go with you to Cancun? Well, cause it's marriage glue kids. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> anyway. So we, we, we do that, and, but it's, it's a company thing. It's a business thing, just the two of us. And we spend time together, enjoy, enjoy our marriage, but also focus on long-term vision dreaming about the business. We'll spend time in prayer and Lord, what is on your heart for our community? What's on your heart for our state? What's on your heart for people with disabilities? And, and then when we start getting a little revelation from where we talk about it yeah, and we've, you know, we just try to explore it that way. Yeah. I'm always interested in the tension between dreaming and, 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 and setting big goals and casting big vision and contentment, right? Like God's designed us to be creative, right? He's designed us to dream and and, and plan whatever, (laughs) but we're also called to be content with what's already in our hands. How do you guys think about holding that tension well? Oh, that's a fun story. That's Well, I'm not sure what you're going to share, but I'll say one of the things I think that I, I love is, you know, God teaches us so much through nature and there are seasons. There are seasons of, of winter. There are seasons of spring. And to really continually pray into what season you're in has been a really important part of the process for me is we're not always meant to be striving and working. We're meant to rest. We're meant to have a season where things even go dormant. So one of the things I remind myself of regularly is is what's what season are you in and then just press into whatever season that is sadie go back to the deed for a minute i want to close the loop there this this is super interesting to me literally writing out a deed to god with the business what are the symptoms that you've forgotten that document Mm. like how do you know that like oh i've slipped into believing this is my business not god's first and foremost is when anxiousness creeps in. I know that I'm trying to lean on my own strength. I'm not leaning on on him because, you know, when I find myself worrying more than praying, that's always a really good indicator that I'm trying to take it back to myself. I also just my personality and the way God's designed me, I always think working a little harder is the answer. And so whenever I find myself leaning on working a little harder, that's become a little warning light on my dashboard that says, hmm, (laughs) maybe if you're leaning into working a little harder, you're not leaning into God, you're leaning into your own strength, leaning into what you're capable of. And so then I have to pull back, I have to do some reflection, I have to do some journaling, and I have to go, okay, did I 
stop hanging on to your hand, God, and start fighting my own battles. And those are always some really good warning lights that I'm taking it back and going to take responsibility and even maybe the the recognition for this thing that I know is all his. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That worrying more than praying, that's a pretty good symptom. I'm, I'm writing that one down. That's That's a good one to journal. I was thinking about you guys the other day. I was reading Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. Have you guys read this? No. Yeah. It's great. It's terrific. I'm writing it down. And he points out that the only time Jesus explains the nature of his heart, core of his being, is when he says that I am gentle and lowly in heart, right? It's this bent towards mercy and compassion. And thus, Dane Ortland goes on to expound upon this idea that naturally it would follow that we feel closest to God when we ourselves are extending mercy and compassion to others. I was thinking about you guys, obviously, because you're in this business where even though it didn't seem profitable at the onset of this thing, you felt compelled to minister and show mercy and compassion to people who are probably hard to show mercy and compassion to. I'm just curious, either of you to just talk about, have you guys experienced that you have felt closer to God as you are closer to your clients? Oh my goodness, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Our population is, in my opinion, one of the most overlooked populations in the United States. And I don't yeah. think that's because Americans are evil. I think it's just because most people don't know how to relate, how to talk. Yeah, they see an individual that's clearly has a disability in a wheelchair. And instead, because they don't want to be unkind, yeah. they just look away. Well, yeah, they don't know. I mean, I'll raise my hand, right? Like, I'm not sure how to engage. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And so people don't know how to engage. So they choose not to engage just to avoid the awkward moment that could embarrass the other person and also possibly embarrass themselves, not realizing that they are perpetuating the rejection that that person already feels. Mm. It's actually a very, it's actually a very sad, accidental thing. So Jesus says, whoever you love, at least these are my brothers, you're loving me. Yeah. I mean, I get chills whenever I even tell this to people that I feel closer to my Lord when I'm saying hi for 10 seconds to one of my clients. And we've also, I've already mentioned, I'm so privileged to do what I've done for 25 years. I actually have some clients from the very beginning. So I have individuals that I've been working with for over 25 years. And two of the ones I'm thinking about right now do happen to have a relationship with Jesus. Not all of our clients do, of course. But just to watch their faith, you know, I have one individual, she's experienced a lot of trauma in her life, but part of her disability is she has no filter. And so she'll, she just really tells you how it is, both like how her life used to be and now how it is with God. And I'll sit and just marvel when I listen to her talk. And I'm just like, this is, this is, this is a heart of Jesus right here. And she's, she's my sister in Christ as much as she is someone that I work alongside of. And it reminds me of the transformative power of God and transformative love that he has for each and every one of his children. It's humbling and it's a phenomenal reminder to me. So hang on a second. I want to make sure I'm getting this straight. You're CEO of this company of 600 employees and you're still personally spending time with clients? <laughs> yes, I do. It's my it's my guilty pleasure. No, I'm kidding. So we, you know, one of our values is community. So we do a lot of community events. We I've mentioned we we do these dream retreats. We actually have 
13 of them this year. So, and what we do is we have a luncheon here at our office before people head up to the retreat. And it's, I've actually made my, my team put it on my calendar because I go down and I just hang out with our clients and have lunch with them. And they all did some art. And so we, we have a whole room full of their art. And so I'll go around and ask them, you know, what their piece of art was. And we'll talk about their piece of art and why they did that piece of art. And, and it's just, it's my favorite part of, of those days. So I do those. Um, so I have that time with clients, but I have a few clients. I have a, a rule that anyone in my organization who asks to have a meeting with me is granted a meeting with me. I don't want to remove myself from my team. So that's my rule. If you ask for a meeting with me, I will have a meeting with you. So some of my clients that have known me for a long time over the years will ask for a meeting with me and we'll spend 45 minutes, an hour, and we'll chat about whatever they want to chat about. Usually they want to tell me a new idea and what I should do at Compass and how we could do it better <laughs> and different. And, and I love it. It's, right, it's, right. it's, a great, it's a great time. All right. I got to draw out a couple of things here. Number one, you guys have no idea that this is happening right now. Right before I got on the phone with you guys, I talked with Deb Liu, who is the CEO of Ancestry.com. Oh. <laughs> and Deb has the exact same policy that I had never heard of before today. Anyone <laughs> within the organization at any time, well, not any time, there, there are certain times you can, sure. get mm-hmm. you can get on our calendar. So I just want to highlight that for our listeners. You're going to hear this on this episode. You're going to hear it next week with Deb. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you, listener, about doing the same thing. Secondly, I got to call this out. I'm not surprised that you're still personally spending time with your clients, Sadie. Yeah. And I was, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. My friend, Jack Alexander wrote a phenomenal book called The God Impulse, which basically makes the argument that we outsource compassion and mercy today. Yeah. Right. We donate money to nonprofits. Even you say in your position, you can outsource compassion to your team. That's their job. It's their little job to like help clients. But there's a lot of value in personally doing mercy. Right. So our work matters deeply to God, but so does taking the time to stop and show mercy to others, even if it's not our quote unquote job. Not just outsource compassion, but do it ourselves. Would you agree with that, Sadie? Absolutely. Well, I think, like I said early on, learn this at, at 23 and keep learning it all the time. And that's that we have something to learn from everyone. But it, I think we especially have something to learn when we really look at individuals that we think we're helping. When we think we're helping them, likely that's an awesome opportunity for God to get in there and teach us something. I've learned, I could go on and on and on about all the different things I've learned by just being with individuals with disabilities, all types of disabilities, both physical and mental disabilities. And to learn from them on a, on a frequent daily basis is just one of my greatest joys. But then also, I think there is back to when the phys- when we do something physical, when we take the moment to do something practical and physical mm-hmm. as an act of worship or love for God, I think those can be really powerful moments where tangibly we feel the love of God. We feel it in our, for ourselves. We feel it for the individual we're helping. And then that's transformative right then and there for both of us, not just for me, but for them as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that's what Jack is arguing in this book. And you guys know me. I love focus. I I think God has called us to very important work that we got to be focused on, but not at the expense of personally doing mercy 
in our places of work and in our communities. All right, guys, you know we wrap up every podcast with the same three questions. Sadie, which books do you recommend or gift most frequently? Oh, you know, I spent some time thinking about this. And I actually had so many, I really have, I think even today I was listening to your podcast and unwrapping the name of Jesus. Yeah, so good. I wrote it down. Uh, I'm going to do it during Advent this year. I'm super excited about it. So I, I, you've had some great people with some really great ideas. So I, I try to come up with something a little different. We actually have a good friend named Danny Silk. He wrote the book, Loving Your Kids on Purpose. We've used that... Our oldest is now 19. I think it really helped us figure out how to be powerful parents raising powerful kids. And then he has another book called Unpunishable that we really enjoyed. But yeah, that's just, he's a, he's a friend, but he's an author and he writes some really good things. And it's actually been very foundational in our Mm -hmm. own way we've built our family as well as the way we've built our, our company culture. I love it. That's great. Eric, how about you? What books do you recommend to others? Well, she stole the one I was going to say, Living Your Kids on Purpose is probably my most recommended book. Wow. But a book that I'm honestly, that I've been studying recently and practicing has been Atomic Habits, which I know you're old. Yeah. That's been really good for me. And and I love the notion of little bitty change that you walk out over a length of time will lead to transformative change. Yes. Because I can wrap my brain around that. So that's been a- Long obedience in the same direction. Right. Right. Yes. Sadie, who do you most want to hear on this podcast? Again, we were talking, Eric and I actually worked hard on this one because I, you know, we, we have a I lot of these people down. So I'm glad yeah, you we, we have a lot of friends that are in ministry and I know that's not quite the focus of this. And then we have friends in social work, but we were like, okay, what, what would be, and we have a friend named Bob um, Hassan. He actually owns a painting company. Commercial painting company. Commercial painting company. He paints airports. He paints the SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. Wow. And he's just a really great guy. Just super down to earth. I mean, he's, you know, kind of a man's man and that he, you know, he owns a construction company, but he also loves Jesus and, and has incorporated that into his organization. So we really like him. That's a great answer. Eric, are you, are you co-signing that answer? Oh, absolutely. He's written a couple of books that are- I love it. You and your listeners have really enjoyed. So I think, I think you would have a lot of fun talking to him. Good. Eric, what's one thing from our conversation today you want to reiterate to our listeners before we sign off? Oh, I, I guess what I would reiterate is that, you know, anything you do in life, any job you have, any career you have, if you have a business, it's all God's. Adam, I was just reading this this morning. God built the garden and then said, hey, Adam, Eve, take care of it for me. It all started there. It's all the Lord's. And, but he gives us really cool places. He puts, he puts us in really cool places and gives us really cool things. And if we just don't try to then take ownership of it by accident, we really get to have a lot more joy in it, even when there are struggles. But that to me is the rub, is when I start getting stressed out, my fear kicks in and then I try to feel like I have to do it. But that's not true. It's all his anyway. Yeah, it's good. Sadie, last word. What's one thing you want to tell this audience of mere Christians before we leave? Hmm. I think just make sure that you're paying attention to your heart. Make sure that you're not being head-led, you're being heart-led. And I think that is spending time in the Word. One of the things that one of your books recommended that I've taken on as a practice is praying over your schedule for the day. Just really offering every part of your day over to the Lord. And so I do that every morning now. I I sit down, I get my, my little iPhone out, and I pay, and I pray through each and every meeting. And it's been amazing and powerful. Powerful to see how God wants to show up in every minute of our day. And, and when we commit it to Him, how much better we hear Him throughout the day. 
I love it. Guys, I want to commend you for the extraordinary work you guys do every day for the glory of God and the good of others, for being the hands and feet of Christ to the clients and the team that you serve. And for reminding us of the need to dream, I really enjoyed hearing you guys talk about that and the need for vision and stepping out in faith. Guys, if you want to learn more about Sadie and Eric, you can do so at compasscares.com. And this is just a guess, but I bet you guys are hiring like crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Always. Northern California. Please go do so. Sadie and Eric, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you did, please leave a review of the podcast wherever you listen to this show. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll see you next week.